lift your hand with me if you don't mind. And would you pray that God would speak to you today? The Lord, that you would say something to me personally. And Father, bless Pastor Mark as he tries to deliver what he believes you've given him for us. So in the name of Jesus, we just want to dedicate this time to you as we run into your arms. Amen. God bless you, church. Please take your seat. It's great to see you today. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, there's an oft-quoted verse called this, the men of Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And, and people often quote it out of context in the sense that they want us all to be social prognosticators, social uh, prophets, whereby we're supposed to understand everything that's going on and know what to do. But in this context, what it meant was is that they knew there was a change of leader coming and that David was the right man to follow. It's really important to know who to follow. And so they knew what to do. But it is important that we understand the times. And I want to start a kind of message. And the way that this is going to work is I'm going to preach as long as I feel I should. And then I'm going to stop and then pick it up next week. Because this is a series of messages that's going to go on for a few weeks. So there's no pressure to say everything. The times in which we live. You know, I do want to say some important things as we go into 2018. We live in an age of more information and less wisdom. We live in an age of more entertainment and less joy. We live in an age of more communication and less understanding. This age that we live in, we have more consumption and less satisfaction. We have more news and less truth. As people of truth and Jesus followers, we're going to have more moments of opposition and yet we are going to have more moments of opportunity. And I'm not going to, in one sense, talk about prophecy per se this week, although there are some prophetic stirrings in the world and I'm going to be laying some of those out in the following weeks to come. But we live in unusual times, don't you agree? In fact, we live in times where experts say things and then they get it completely wrong. Have you noticed that? They're completely way off. It's completely opposite to what they said. And it's almost like God is confounding the wise and establishing the foolish. We live in a times where predictions of experts are found wanting. But there does seem something stirring in the world. Am I the only one? Do you feel it? Do you you think something's stirring? Anybody else with me? Do you you think this is kind of a strange time for us all? Don't you think with everything that's going on, that it's just a really strange time? The pace of change seems to have accelerated. An unrest seems to get stronger and stronger. And some embrace it, and they're, they're embracing it, and it's like adrenaline to them. They love it, and others are daunted by it. 
But rather than predict lots of things at the start of this year, there are two basic truths that I believe it's important for all of us to embrace. But I want to give you some substance behind it, why it's important for them to embrace. It's all important to understand the times in which we live in. It's really important to understand it, but I don't think there's anybody who can who can fully know and understand everything that's going to happen. But even though it's important to know the times, and even though we may not understand everything, why it's happening, but we can know how to live in our times. You may not totally understand why something's going on, but you can know what to do during it going on. So it may be really uncertain on the TV right now. There may be things said that you think, well, I just don't know what's going on. But here's a certainty. You can live well in Jesus no matter what goes on. Amen? You can. If you're here today and you're checking out church, we are not shaken and we are going to stand. That's a promise to us. Here are two truths that are really important for the church to understand. First truth, the world needs the church. Now, you're probably not confident about yourselves to be able to make such a bold statement, but you are needed at your workplace, in your street. You are needed around this world. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light to people. You are needed in this world. The world needs the church, a vibrant church, a life-filled church, a church with people who know how to live because there is so much unrest and so much temptation, and you'll have the same temptation as everyone else, and the pressure on you will be the same. The world needs to see a church that is fully functioning Because the world needs to see people who know what to do, even though they don't know why something's happening. Amen? Here's the second truth. The church needs Jesus. The world needs the church. The church needs Jesus. And can I say, more than ever before, some of you came to faith... And and you were broken, you were lost as I was. I never went to church growing up. The first time I went to church was, was just an amazing thing to me. But I need Jesus more now than even back then. Even though I was lost and broken. Now hear me church. The world needs the church. They don't know that they need us. But the world needs you. Why don't you just... Just say out loud to yourself, I'm needed. I'm needed. But the church needs Jesus. Your closeness to Jesus will be crucial. You are in the world with many of the same pressures that they are facing. You are going to need to hold on to Jesus and to be close to Jesus more than ever before. Let me skip back to the first truth. Why the world needs the church. Now, I'm going to deal over the next few weeks about some prophetic things and uh, some stirrings that are going on that I believe that we need to be aware of. 
But let me talk to you about what's going on in the world just for a few moments. The world needs the church because of the greater connectivity and the internet that we have today. Because what's happening is, even though it's a fantastic thing to be able to text, to Google, to search, to email, to Twitter, to connect, uh, to be able to work remotely from work, what's happening is, is that the connectivity that we have is causing great unrest and weariness in people's soul. They feel like they can never switch off. That it used to be that we would have our family time, our work time, and it was all divided for us. Now it's invaded across all spaces and all boards. Your boss at work can email you a project at home and you can work at home. And if you're not careful, you can never switch off. The Economist magazine, The World at 2018, says this. When it comes to happiness, the world gives with one hand and takes away with the other. Whilst being connected has so many advantages, it seems that everyone is finding they can't switch off, particularly from work, or requests, or likes, or saves, or pictures, or notifications. And it's causing this deeper weariness of the soul to set in, whereas we love to be connected, but we don't have any space The words of Jesus are never more so relevant when he cried out and said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And one translation says, rest for your souls. The rest that you can have deep within you, the weariness, the bone-deep weariness that many of us are feeling. Jesus says, I want to heal that. I want to touch that. If you're here today... Jesus can give you a rest when all around you is weary. The reason the world needs the church is because we live in a world of augmented reality or virtual reality, which means you can add something virtual to your everyday experience that isn't really there, which is great because you can train a doctor on a virtual organ now so that they can practice operating on that organ before they try it out on a real person. That's a fantastic thing. When I was learning how to drive in the United States, I had to go on a real road and learn how to drive in real time. What you can do now is you can have three, four months in a car simulator where you're not hurting anybody. It's a fantastic thing. It's much more safe. Some of you, when you learned how to drive, you were an absolute nightmare to people. You were a danger. When we say keep death off the road, it was you. (laughs) So virtual reality, it can make some things really great. But let me tell you this. Fixing a virtual organ doesn't do any good for a person who's got a real defective one. We have to face things in the real world at some point. And some people are left wondering, could I really make it in the real world? You see, there are some people maybe in this room. They are brilliant at FIFA. They're fantastic footballers at FIFA. They could score a hat-trick. They are Lionel Messi and Ronaldo pulled together. They're brilliant at FIFA. But they get out of breath when they run up the stairs. They couldn't run across a football pitch. 
in the real world. And you know, some of us have got loads of friends in the virtual world. And we look at how many likes and, and hearts and emoji smiles and, and that. But actually, when we sit at the canteen at work, we're on our own. In the real world. You see, the virtual world is fine. And, and you know, we all eat meals that are worth photographing, don't we? How many of you photograph food? Come on, admit it. There are some of my meals that I think, I'm not photographing that. Not by Kathy, by the way. Things that I cook on my own. I'm thinking, if that goes on Facebook, people think I'm a nightmare. And that's the point. Facebook world, virtual world, augmented reality world is fine in many ways, but it's left people thinking, what's real? You see, I don't mind. People unfriend me on Facebook. Unfriend me, that's, that's fine. But, and for some of you, that's going to be the worst thing that will happen to you this week. I got unfriended. But you know what? What hurts the most is when my real friend has not got time for me. And what blesses me the most is when I've got a cold or something that my real friend says, well, hey, I've got two paracetamols. Why don't you take these? Or puts her arm around me or makes me some soup. You see, what's happening is, is that our world is, doesn't know the difference between virtual world and real world so much that people are starting to ask, could I make it in the real world? Is, is this virtual world the only world where I'm liked? Is this virtual world the only world that I can be a success in? Could I really make it in the real world? In fact, what is real? And it's been never more so relevant as Jesus' words of saying, I'm the bread of life. He who eats my bread will never be hungry again. I've got the water of life. If you drink from me, you'll never be thirsty again. Jesus' offer is never more as relevant now as it was 2,000 years ago. Because people are thinking to themselves... I don't want virtual stuff all the time. Could I please just have some real? The world needs a church that knows real. The third reason why the world needs the church is because we live in a world of facial recognition and no cash. I can look at my phone and it says, Hello, master, tell me what you want. But we live in a world now of no cash, where we can just transfer money, where it's just numbers on a page, where the value of things is hard to determine and it's hard to teach. That our young people are, never carry money any longer. And we all have cards and chips and pins. And more people feel locked out of wealth than ever before, and those who have it don't understand the value of it, and so because it's so easy to transfer money, they get into trouble easily because it's so invisible, and they get themselves into trouble much more easily. The stewardship message that we preach and teach here has never been so relevant than it is today, because the underlying message is that we all have a caring, loving God who is our Father, who is our provider. 
and that he will look after us and take care of us. And to trust him has never been so much more needed today in our under-pressure, instant, cashless society world. In fact, this is what the psalm says. Psalm 65 verse 9 says, You care for your land and you water it. You enrich it, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide people with their grain. For so you have ordained it. God has ordained provision for you. Because we use it and because we've made it to become invisible... We are forgetting the value of what things cost. We're forgetting the value of what hard work has brought us because it's instantly and it's all become invisible. This world needs a church that knows how to rest in God, that has reality, that has real relationships and is resourced because it knows the right values. That they need to see a people who know how to wait for things and not just press a button and put it on a credit card. Can I hear an amen, church? You see, this world needs the church. But in order to speak into these times, the church needs Jesus. Can I hear a bigger amen? You see, as we go into 2018, we need to re-envision ourselves again to see the Jesus who we have. Would you turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 1? And I'm going to be reading from verse 12 just for a few moments. And I just want to remind you of the Jesus that you serve. Because the Jesus we serve is not some meek and mild person. From Revelation, chapter 1, verse 12, it says this. And I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. I wonder what that is. And and amongst the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is not a ghost. He's not a spirit. He's not someone who who has got no form. He is is real. He's got a definite shape. He was someone like the Son of Man. He was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. He put golden sashes on people who were the winners. It was the golden sash around his chest. And his hair on his head was white like wool and white as snow. And his eyes were like a blazing fire. I'm so glad that my God can see me today. That he can look through anything and he can see the, through the wood for the trees and find me. He sees you. His eyes were like a golden fire. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. He can crush anything. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth with a sharp double-edged sword... Oh, and in this generation of fake news, we need the sword of the Spirit more than anything. Don't you agree, church? And his face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at, my, fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and he said, he says what he usually says. Come on, say it with me. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one and I was dead. And now I look 
And look now, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you've seen, what is now and what will take place. Now the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. Oh, he's going to tell us. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. The word angels means messengers, and it's got two interpretations. It either means the pastor or the leaders of that church, or it also is an angel that's assigned to uh, look over that church. But whatever, God's got the leadership. Amen? He's got, it, he's got them in his hands. And the seven stars are the angel of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, I want you just to notice something, if you will. Look back in verse 12 and verse 13. It says, I saw someone like the Son of Man, and where is he? He is, and the word is, among the lampstand. You see, when we describe Jesus in this way, high and mighty and lifted up, we think he's far away, but he isn't. He's walking amongst the lampstand. He's amongst the church. He's in his church. He's with us right now. In fact, he's right now walking in and out of these rows and up these aisles. And he's amongst us. He's not removed and away from us. Somebody smile at me because this is good news, by the way. He is amongst us. He's with us. That's the Jesus, but we believe that the Jesus we serve and Scripture tells us that the Jesus we served is not this meek and mild baby any longer. And you know, in a few months' time, we're going to go to Easter and we're going to celebrate Jesus in his vulnerability and we're going to celebrate the fact that he rose from the dead. But here we see a glorified Jesus who is not far removed from us and who is a capable, powerful, strong, glorified one. That's the Jesus we serve today. And that's the Jesus we want to take into 2018. And that's the Jesus I want to fix my eyes on. Can I hear an amen, church? That's what we need. Because the church needs Jesus more than ever before. Now we need Jesus. And when I look at the issues that Jesus addressed in these seven churches, the number seven being, being the, the number of perfection, meaning all churches at all times. Some people interpret the things of Revelation, there were seven church age. That's not true. What this is, is Jesus was just describing how the church will be in its different forms at any age. You can find an Ephesian church, a Laodicean church, a Sardis church, a Pergamum church, today on the earth. And when I look at the issues that Jesus addressed to the church in Revelation, we are no different. We are no different whatsoever. The needs of the church are just as relevant today. And if we address them, the world would see what it needs from the church and the church would see what it needs from Jesus. The world needs you, church. Does anybody watch Call the Midwife? I, I, yeah, I know you watch it, dear. <laughs> Does anybody watch Call the Midwife? Some of you are going, oh, Call the Midwife, that's rubbish. Man, there's no action, there's no shooting, there's no car chases. Slow down. You don't need that all the time. 
Has anybody watched Call the Midwife? Anybody at all on this side? Oh, man. Over Christmas, I was crying. The little baby comes back to life. It's just wonderful. It's great, uplifting stuff. But one of the quotes for it was, is that, that, that God's hands are found in the hands of his people. The world needs the church. How are they going to know God? How are they going to find God? And they're all arguing over what's right, in, out, leave, remain, wah, 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 wah. The next tweet by some president somewhere, wah. <laughs> Who cares? We're all getting so discouraged. The world needs a church that knows how to live and to breathe and to move in Jesus because they're weary and they're lost. And the church needs to connect to a Jesus and get what they need from him. And so in Revelation, Jesus addresses some needs in the church. And he addresses four in particular. And one of the first things that Jesus says to his church, and the first issue, and I think I might land with this, because I can pick it up next week, but the first issue that, that Jesus addresses, and he just says to you, I want you to stay alive. Uh, do you, does anybody like Last of the Mohicans film? I'm taking you into my entertainment store today. You know, Last of the Mohicans, great film. If you're not seeing it, now, you know, please watch. It's a great love story. Now, it's a little violent, so I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying I've watched it, okay? It's up to you whether you watch it. But Daniel Day-Lewis, who actually has just retired this year, great actor, uh, in my opinion, but, uh, you know, he's just retired this year and said, I've had enough of this, I need to move on. Isn't that great that somebody knows when it's time? But anyway, Daniel Day-Lewis is one of the main actors, and uh, Madeline Stowe uh, is in there, looks a bit like Kathy when she was young, so maybe, I don't know, I don't know what I'm thinking about. But, you know, Madeline Stowe, she's in this cave, and she's, she's, she knows she's going to get captured by the, by the Mohicans, and he's got to go away and come back and save her a bit. And he looks at her, he looks a bit like Jesus. He's got his olive skin, and his hair's all wet and raggedy, and so I imagine Jesus sometimes. And uh, he looks at her, and I know some of you are cringing right now because I'm just getting into my love story life. But he looks at her and he says, stay alive, I will find you. You know what, the first time I saw that, I heard the voice of Jesus saying to me, Mark, stay alive. I need to find you. I've got to work for you. And that's exactly what Jesus says to the churches here in Revelation. To the church at Ephesus, he says, Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love, the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do those first things over. You see, Jesus is saying to his church, Stay alive, keep vibrant, don't lose your first love. We need to be a, have a consistent, connected richness in the Holy Spirit. Stay alive, church. To the church at Sardis, he says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. 
Wake up, strengthen what remains and what's about to die. There are some things in your life that are on their last breath and you need to breathe life back into them. For I found your deeds unfinished in my sight, in the sight of my God. To Laodicea, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold or hot. And I wish you were either one or the other, because you're lukewarm. You're neither hot or cold. And I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. The issue is that Jesus, who was once dead and is now alive, is trying to speak to a church that was once alive and is now becoming dead. How do we address this trajectory and this direction in our lives? How do we arrest this, this slow walk to mediocrity and to this time when we were once so alive and yet now we can hardly be bothered? There'd be a time when a pastor would hold a Bible before you and say, I've got a cheap Bible. They would have been snapped his hand off. And now we're thinking, yeah, I've got enough Bibles. Thank you very much, Pastor Mark. Stay alive. Because the world needs the church. And the church needs Jesus. Let me just make one or two points about how we can stay alive. Well, number one, make an honest assessment of how we've decreased and the things that we used to do that we now find really hard. And we need to repent and redo those acts of devotion. Now, this is more than going back to your first Christian naivete, you know, when you just thought everything was just awesome. And, you know, I once had a man tell me that was the most awesome sermon that he's ever heard when he heard me preach. And I said, how many sermons have you heard? And he said, two. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that his judgment was valid. You know, I, 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 I used to think that every church was brilliant. When I first got saved, wow, look at all these churches, it's fantastic, Lord, well done. And I've come to realize, and I say this very carefully, not every church is brilliant, is it? I'm not saying going back to be the naive person, but there are some things that you used to do that used to do you really good, and you stopped doing them, and you've got to go back and genuinely, you've let some things go that you need to let go, but you need to genuinely pick up what you used to shine in, And what you used to do, is there an old gift that you genuinely need to look at again? That you genuinely think, you know, I used to do that, I used to enjoy it. And for whatever reason, I've let life crowd me out and I've stopped doing some things. You know, our lives are so pressured. We're all trying to survive and then kids come along and it gets even worse. But we've got to go back and say, you know what? I used to worship in the mornings and I've stopped doing it. I used to pray this way. I used to be an encourager. I used to take time. I used to stay around after church. I used to have to be the last person to leave. I used to do that. Remember, secondly, If you want to stay alive, remember what has been spoken over you. Has that ceased? 
First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. And look at this phrase. So that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. What was once said over you? Has that gone now? Has that been released? Now, I know that some prophecies have a shelf life. I understand that. And some of us are living in words that are actually putting a lid on our life. But there are some things that have been said over our lives and we've put it on the back burner because we've filled our lives with other things. It's time to get those words back out and say, God, you said that and I'm going for that again. Stay alive, church. Thirdly, why don't you remember all those people who have inputted into you and the encounters that you've had with the Lord? Are they now wasted? I think about George's mum, who, who virtually runs the village church there. And when I was at George's wedding, everybody I spoke to say, oh yeah, uh, what's your mum name? Jan, is it? Pardon? Roslyn, yeah. Roslyn. Uh, sounds like Jan. Roslyn. Rosalind prayed for me this time. Rosalind did this for me. Rosalind did that for me. Rosalind helped me there. I'm thinking, man, this lady is fantastic. Has all Rosalind's work, the Rosalind in your life, has that gone to waste now? All those people who spoke into you, built you, prayed for you, is, is that gone now? You see, you've got to go back to your first love and you've got to honor the fathers and mothers who've raised you and raised you in the church. You see, what Paul said to Timothy was this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am now persuaded now lives in you. For this reason, I want to remind you, (laughs) fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Fan it into flame. What's that gift that you have let go down? Everybody, please stand with me, if you will. Fan into flame. If you're next to your husband and your wife, blow on them right now. (laughs) Say fan it. Fan it into flame. Come on. Tell somebody. Just turn to somebody and say fan into flame. The gift of God that was in you. Now I've got one last thing. One last thing. To stay alive, what are you leaving undone or unfinished? What are you neglecting so that it just dries up or runs out? Did you start something and you're letting it fail? You see, unfinished things... They're unfinished, but they sap your energy because they cause a pressure on you. You started it for a a reason. You heard something in God. Something was spoken over to you. And now are you ignoring that now? You see, in Revelation, it says, Remember, therefore, what you had received and heard and hold on to it fast. Colossians 4 verse 17 says, Tell Archippus, see to it that he completes the ministry you've received in the Lord. Jesus, our great hero, who we need to keep his dangerous memory alive because he is dangerous, church. 
John 17 verse 4 says, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. We've all sang it this morning. It is finished. You may be great at starting things, but why don't you be a finisher? We're not all supposed to be absolute completers. We know all of that research and what have you, but there are some things in the Lord that you need to carry on with and to finish well. That's how you stay alive. Let's stay alive. You see, to stay alive, you've got to go to the right source and stop depending on things, but pray and ask God for what you need. We need the source of Jesus in our lives. Stay alive. I will find you, says the Lord. Stay alive. I will break through, says the Lord. Don't let, don't die. Just turn it around. So at the start of this year, I want to ask you to understand that the world needs the church. Would you just lift your hand with me and just proclaim, I am needed. I know for some of you, you might think that's a proud boast. But there is somebody at your work. There are some children that you teach in school. There is somebody around your sphere of influence. They need you. Would you just say it out loud? I am needed. Hey, turn, turn to somebody and say, I need you. Now, for some of you, you've just turned to your wife and you've just had the most intimate moment that you've had all week. So turn to someone who isn't your wife or your husband and look them in the eyes and say, I need you. You see, I I love big church. I do. I love, I love the fact that God can get his glory. I mean, we learned that from the Roman Catholics, actually, that they built things that were big. And they built it not because they were just rich. It's because they said, man, God's big. He deserves big. So I love, I love the fact that we can fill stadiums these days. And, and, you know, we have the lights, camera, action. I love all of that. And we should do that and make a statement because our God's a big God. Amen. But I I worry sometimes that Jesus says you have a reputation of being alive, but you're really dead. You've got the big show, but what about that work colleague at work that needs to see some compassion? That when all the lights are switched off, how are we doing? The world needs you. Maybe you could lift your hand with me and say, But I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. I want more of you in my life. I want to be alive. Come on, pray it with me. 
you, you turn it into your own prayer. I need you, Jesus. I need you. I want you. I need more of you in my life. I said this in the first service, and sometimes I, I, I just look at our churches over Britain, and I, and I, I say to the Lord, and I don't want to be a downer at the end of our service, but I say, Lord, have we let you down? I look over Britain and I say, are we letting you down, Lord? You know, with the state of our nation, I think, wow, what are we doing? Lord, are we letting you down? I think about people like Will and Charlotte just busting their heart out to bring some relief to the poor in this city. So I don't think all of us are letting the Lord down, but I tell you what, I just really know that we need Jesus more in 2018 because the world needs us. It needs a church that's alive, needs a God that's big, and a Jesus that can heal the deep weariness that people have in their souls. And I really care about this city. I care about you. And I think we need to be a church that really cares for it. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise because he's got the whole thing.